0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art International. I'm Kathy Bird. Our podcast and radio show explore the world's cultural landscape. We engage at the intersection of digital media, sound art, and social practice. Today, we bring you part two of our series on Art with a Sense of Place. This program highlights conversations featured in the second issue of our SMART Guide. We produce the guide as a series of downloadable PDFs. Each issue delves into a different theme through select episodes, transcriptions, and links to research that informs our podcast. Art with a Sense of Place considers creative projects that respond to a physical space, and those that react to or embrace a historic moment, a cultural environment, a political tension, or a psychological space. Emerging in the 1960s, site-specific art sought to transcend what was perceived as the over-curated, almost clinical context of the art museum. Artists rebelled by creating their own exhibition sites. Agnes Dennis brought a wheat field to a landfill in New York City. Others flaunted the rules of museum installation with live interventions. Joseph Boys lived in a Soho gallery with a live coyote. This episode brings a broader range of cultural production into the conversation, exposing new ways of seeing place, space, and sight in contemporary art. Conceptual artist Augustina Woodgate demystifies our sense of place in her roving internet radio transmissions. Through conversations with her guests she channels the energies, issues, and ideas of diverse cultures.
1: 12 o'clock and we're live from Giant Motors.
0: Augustina is an artist based in Miami, Florida in Buenos Aires, Argentina. She and her team produced an online radio show for four days during Auto Body, a performance-based exhibition featuring the work of more than 30 women artists. Her broadcast and our conversation took place on Miami Beach during Art Week in December 2014. On the coast of South Florida, Her station popped up in what was once the office of a former car repair shop. She transformed the abandoned space into a studio by adding recording equipment and four bucket seats. One click and Radio Espacio Estacion was on the air. It really
1: blew my mind to find out that I can download an application on my computer, press a button and be live to the world. A round table, some car seats, and some good conversation. Not everyone is conversation. I think I have about 35 guests, one guest an hour. Ranges from conversation to sound experiments to music, bands, and the topics are inspired by the location. Usually that's how the radio works.
0: Augustina's radio projects are site sensitive She designs her programming in response to exhibition themes and the environments in which they're presented. For Augustina, presenting a fluid bilingual show is critically important. This radio
1: broadcast has a particularity that is bilingual. Um, And in this way, the broadcast happens in two languages at the same time. What means at the same time is que de repente hablo un poco en español y la conversación sigue en español and then I flip to English again and there's never a translation. Just the idea and the experiment is integration.
0: Who are your listeners? You've got this live broadcast and who who listens?
1: In every city that I broadcast I somehow collect the locals, and then they follow me to the next one and follow me to, and like that. So I do a lot of online distribution because it is an online radio. Mm -hmm. I rather keep the online distribution, the online promotion, then you are just one click away. It is also a conscious decision, a very thoughtful decision to do a radio that only exists online. There's um, an intention of hosting an online event and somehow challenging what it means to gather
0: online. Before going on the air, Augustina does tons of research. Every time I put up a broadcast, I go to school
1: all over again. I have to do so much research from every guest I'm inviting, or the topic itself, and then not only the topic itself, but also the amount of branches that might affect the topic, right? So so that it actually is a healthy conversation addressed from different
0: perspectives. Featuring women exclusively, her program captured auto body performances. nine artists, four men, five females, 55% female. And local musicians. a transportation planner, an immigration lawyer, and a car mechanic. Each day she broadcast a series of hour-long conversations and streaming audio of art and music performances.
2: A 03, oh, that must be 2003
0: caravan! The way that I've been building up the programming was
1: inspired in movement. Outer body parts seemed right. So when I say movement, I think about movement within Miami and in and out of Miami. So the city. And when thinking about within it, of course the car industry at the base of it, where I'm at right now. But then what other ways of addressing the topic of movement? In relationship to the automobile industry, labor, economy, we will have the spine
0: of an interconnected community. Augustina has produced her event based show seven times in the US and Europe. The broadcast before Autobody was a 24 hour marathon in Washington, D.C. The theme? Daylight Saving Time.
1: The last one I did was a commission by the DC Commissions for the Arts and Humanities. That was really an incredible experience. It was a 25-hour marathon, 25 hours non-stop roving the geometry of the city. In every stop, I had a different guest. The whole broadcast was on Daylight Saving on November 2nd, the day that actually has 25 hours. That's why I was broadcasting for 25 hours. And the topic was time. The politics of time and the policies of time. How time affects economy, how time affects astronomy and the city itself.
0: In Washington, D.C., one of the stops was at noon at the National Cathedral where a society of bell ringers was performing. They ring the bells every Sunday, but yeah, one of them came down to
1: speak with me while they were still ringing, so nice. would have the background noise while we were in conversation. And they have nothing to do anymore with the cathedral itself. They just use the tower because it has the bells. But usually, back then in, in history, the priests were the timekeepers of the town. They will have the bell, and that will keep the track on when to pray or when to wake up or... So that was one of the first timekeeping tools Mm -hmm. we've used. With time, the monasteries were the ones who were producing the watches. So the priest will have the clock. So then he will ring the bell. And nowadays, the bells are not being used like that, but then you have these other groups that just get together every Tuesday to rehearse and every Sunday to ring the bells. And they have these crazy mathematical patterns and it's a whole
0: society of ringing. Radioee.net is that perfect fusion, a way to channel contemporary technology, the voice, and her imagination. Like that,
1: and this channel not being visual, but sound. And imagination is a very big component of my end result, always. And I think that not having the visual, but just the storytelling, is something I wouldn't want to disappear.
0: Director of a multi-site museum known as the Austin Contemporary, Luis Grachos is interested in art that transforms our everyday experience of the urban landscape. Grachos envisions a temporal citywide public art intervention for Austin. Luis Grachos is no stranger to the American Southwest. He was director-curator of Site Santa Fe for seven years, but still... How did he end up in Austin?
2: During my years at Site Santa Fe, I learned a number of things about New Mexico and uh, the great culture of of the Santa Fe region. Um, But what I also learned is the wonderful um, uh, enthusiasm and support of many great Texans. So when this opportunity came up, uh, I I was delighted. And um, I also really was fascinated by the challenge of um, coming here to work on essentially a new museum program, which uh, was brought to us by a merger between um, Austin Museum of Art and Art House. And um, I love building, I love being part of uh, organizations and projects that are new, and it was an exciting challenge for me.
0: The Austin Museum of Art, Art House, is also known as Amoa MOA art house. It's a hybrid institution with a hyphenated name and two venues. One is a villa situated at the edge of Town Lake, and the other is a modern building in downtown Austin. Is there any advantage to this disconnect?
2: In all honesty, I think the uniqueness of both sites really um, inspire artists to create new work if you look at the Jones Center, it's a historic building that's been retrofit many times over its history. It was once a theater, it was once a retail store. Um, it was recently redesigned by Paul Lewis, a terrific architect based in New York. And it has a texture and a, and a feel to it that lends itself to experiential art, art that's about installation or different media. It's It's a flexible building on that front. But the fact that it's in the heart of our city, is really impressive. Uh, Laguna Gloria is, for those who don't know it, it's one of the the great visits you can make in the Austin area. It's really very impressive um, to be around water and to to have such a beautiful experience with nature and uh, with art, uh, I think is a great opportunity for us.
0: What's the trick to directing such a complex institution?
2: So my challenge is to think about um, an organization that is one institution with multiple sites uh, and if we think about this as an opportunity to function as a museum without walls then we can really uh, encourage collaborations and do projects even beyond that those two sites
0: the challenge facing Amoa art house seems to be much greater than the five mile distance that separates the two venues
2: as i continued researching i i was, it was very clear to me that um, it felt like there there was not a program historically in Austin that was a definitive Museum of Contemporary Art kind of program. The opportunity for us is to fill that gap uh, and really create a program that you might liken to the Museum of Contemporary Art in Chicago or, or the ICA in uh, Philadelphia or in Boston, um, the Museum of Contemporary Art in uh, Toronto, for example. And by that, I mean it needs to be a program in my mind that services education uh, in, a, in a very strong and, and deep way into the community that creates opportunities for artists and bringing artists to our community that have international stature. I think that really feeds your community. It It excites the young artists.
0: The world knows Austin for South by Southwest and for music and technology. The question is what could bring national attention to Austin's contemporary art scene? I've thought long and hard
2: about that, and I've been talking to as many of my colleagues as I can engage in conversation about what we can do that would really begin that step forward in, in really raising the awareness of this community being rich and filled with creative individuals, creative artists, creative musicians, performance artists, et cetera. What I've been dreaming about, uh, even before I arrived to Austin because I, I had a feel that this could be a, a project that would work here, and that is to create a, a multi-site, citywide experience that would engage public spaces, public parks, um, all the things that we know are in the, in the design phase, the trail, the, the Waller Creek project, um, Laguna Gloria, the uh, university, the east side studio scene. To create um, an exhibition that could be of international stature and really building off our city's very festival-friendly position in the world.
0: Germany has a great model for the citywide engagement that Lewis would love to see in Austin, the Münster Sculpture Project.
2: I think we need to think about um, the visual arts in a bigger way, I think in a way that's more integrated into our city. And And uh, the model I keep going to happens in Germany approximately every seven years in the city of Munster. And uh, that sculpture project is remarkable in that it invites international curators to help select um, a, a show that sometimes has a strong theme and sometimes not such a definitive theme but the idea is to bring 35 or 40 artists to the community to build new projects in in the city itself. And it's been um, now done four times successfully. The city, um, they retained the projects that they thought were very successful, and, um, and they've retained about 35 of them to date and I think will continue to grow their collection. And like Austin, Munster exploits the summer and fall period and encourage people to take a map and a bicycle which is provided with the tour uh, with your ticket and literally go to each and every site throughout the city and that's the kind of program I could envision for us because it would really um, take advantage of all those great opportunities out there.
0: Is this a turning point for how the world engages with art and public space?
2: public art has gone through a cycle now where people are much more interested in engaging with art in public spaces. And that's um, that's a turning point. I think that's, it seems like there was a period where those projects were either difficult to execute or not as compelling. And if you look at some of the lead programs uh, across the country today, for example, um, the Public Art Fund in New York or the Madison Square Park Conservancy Program, where Art has really galvanized a neighborhood or an area. In some cases, it's a moving target. It goes the, the Public Art Fund does projects throughout the area. But you can see the impact, the positive impact that art can have um, on community, um, how it can attract cultural tourism, all the things that you'd want. And uh, I think Austin's ready for it.
0: A Moa Art House has already started bringing art out of doors. Here's one example, a public sound art project by Craig Colarusso, presented at Laguna Gloria in early 2013. Photographer Adam Schreiber considers the perspective of Linda Pace. In his images, he deliberately suspends our gaze on objects in her collection. He acknowledges our restless relationship to art and the architectural space that contains most art experiences. Adam's passion is exploring collections, warehouses, and archives. During his 2010 residency at Art Pace San Antonio, he pursued his interest in the dynamic between objects and the space that contains them. His installation of a DeLorean in the Art Pace Gallery animated the building's history as a former automotive plant. Adam remembers the role that context played when he photographed the contemporary art collection of philanthropist and artist Linda Pace inside her private San Antonio residence.
3: The project at ArtPace was in a sense a way for me to use the architecture of the exhibition space to reflect on the architecture of the subject I was dealing with. And ultimately, that's what the project for me became about and that's what was ultimately important to me. It was in a way far more important than the subject of the pictures. The subject of the pictures, in some sense, kind of anomalous as it is, for me functions sort of like camouflage for the context in which the pictures are exhibited. Um, While I'm interested in the DeLorean, I'm sort of less interested in the car itself than its sort of um, status as a placeholder. And and the Art Pace gallery situation was was an interesting container for that particular vehicle, which has, you know, a variety of cultural references and permutations, whether historically in terms of its fabrication, and also its history as like, you know, a cinematic um, icon. So with that sort of preface, I think the Pace Foundation show um took the idea of the context in which the pictures are exhibited to kind of a different level in the sense that um and this came about eventually but in the sense that the pictures i made in there were eventually then exhibited in the space they were made Mm -hmm. right so in a way it is it's this there's a circularity and there's there's a series of temporal rifts implicit in the work and, and the exhibition of the work.
0: I spent time with Diminishing Returns, which was the Art Pace, and with this project that you did at the Pace Foundation, and I noticed in both of those that there was a clear sense of staging and shadows, working with shadows, and this super spare sense of color, this, this relationship you have with white and negative space, which I found made the end result, or the, the photographs themselves quite have this theatrical aspect to them, and almost as sublime for me, because whatever it was you chose to give color to was like, it was, it seemed that it was some sacred object. And I think that's a really interesting way of looking at a composition. To make one part of it stand out, you actually made all the other parts stand out by keeping them white.
3: In a deep sense, and using the you know basic aspects of photography to expose the characteristics of the space. And that space, as we as I mentioned earlier, is like very specifically designed to, um, for someone to live with contemporary art and to have like what I think of it as like a suspended perceptual relation to objects, where literally in the visual field, objects float in the space. Um, That said, I think um, what Steven recognized about the way that I work and and why I was interested in the space is that my particular process in using this really slow camera that records a tremendous amount of detail had a particular relationship and potential for that space. Um, And so, the kind of formal aspects that you referenced and the reduced palette of color came about pretty slowly in the space and incrementally. And it came about through spending hours literally with particular scenarios of objects in the space. Though the ultimate pictures feel in some way very close to like the only picture that could have been made of that or the obvious picture, the ideal picture, um, that's actually a process that one gets to as a maker of pictures and as a viewer. And I think in retrospect, that that has an interesting connection to how the collector goes about establishing a relationship to their collection. I mean, clearly Linda's interests in collecting work, extended to viewing it, right? It wasn't just about having the stuff. It was about, like, I think about it as almost like an agitation to create a space in which the characteristics of the work could persist in the most ideal context possible for as long as possible. I mean, creating, as you said, like a stage for the work. Um, And, of course, every work is different and has different qualities. So certain qualities like color um, really come out in that space. And um, other qualities like implied vibration or, um, you know, I mean, if works can make sound, even imagined sound, if works are capable of having that, this is the kind of space that would allow that to happen. And in fact, spending so much time there, just staring under the dark cloth at objects in the space, um, there, is a kind of, there is a kind of different thing that's, that happens, or that happened when I was there. It was unlike being, say, at a museum or at a gallery. I mean, this, this is still, in a sense, a private space. So um, those photographs came out of, in a sense, an unnatural or extended period of staring at an object. Um, and I think, uh, to go back to the camera and the process of exposure, that, that sort of reflects that. The exposures tend to be quite long um, because of the sort of technical aspects of the camera. Um, so it's not just a matter of looking at the, the situations for a long time, but it's also this, this apparatus, this camera, actually recording the scene onto large pieces of sheet film, and, um, and then beginning their sort of process, beginning the process as a latent image into becoming something like what I was seeing, but in other ways, ultimately, something totally unlike what was seen they become their own image of the space.
0: In my mind, Linda Pace was the true subject of Adam's investigation. Her domestic environment was designed to disappear, to fade away from the art that was the focus of her attention.
3: I mean, on the one hand, it's a very designed space. You feel a sense of design to it, like total design. But the effect of that is, um, it's not ornamental, it's, it's sort of designed in the sense that you get into the synecdoche of the architecture of the space in relation to the architecture of the body, to the architecture of you know, breathing, of how time passes, of how light moves across a space, your relation to gravity um, something I was talking about earlier about the role of the collector in the space, and how the space reflects the collector. As I spend time there, and as I've dealt with the pictures I've, I made there, um, I've grown to kind of appreciate this this really um, this really active, kind of restless relationship to art and the simultaneous. Desire to, to anchor or ballast that restlessness with the creation of an architecture that enforces it, as you said, that highlights the objects themselves. Um, so if that's if that's any anything like understanding, Linda, I think um, it's, it's something about understanding maybe what understanding the feeling behind trying to trying to see something and trying to hold something in your mind, trying to suspend perception for long enough for an object to, to like stare back and talk to you.
0: Cuban artist Tanya Bruguera stages civic interventions everywhere she goes. In 2015, we visit her home in Havana to witness a public reading of The Origins of Totalitarianism by Hannah Arendt. While under city arrest, Bruguera aims to spark public dialogue about the prospect for social change in her country. The celebration you just heard took place on May Day, 2009, when a sea of people gathered around President Fidel Castro in Havana's Plaza of the Revolution. On December 30th, 2014, Bruguera attempted an unauthorized public performance there. She was arrested and jailed for three days. The incident took place just two weeks after U.S. President Barack Obama and Cuban President Raúl Castro announced a rapprochement between the two countries. What she attempted was meant to be an open mic event, a reenactment of Tatlin's Whisper No. 6, her free speech platform from the 2009 Havana Biennial. Requesting to set up a microphone and loudspeakers, in the plazas surrounded by key Cuban government buildings would be like asking to stage a public protest in front of the White House. Bruguera went ahead without permission. She invited Cubans to step up and express their views about their country's future. That's when police intervened. During her detention, Cuban officials took her passport. They offered to give it back, but only if she agreed to leave and not return to her home country. She stayed. It appears that tolerance of art activism in Cuba may be a long time coming. In fact, on the day we met, Bruguera said even after she kept silent for weeks following her first detention, the government openly denounced her.
4: I decided to be two weeks very calm, no writing anything on Facebook, on me, my sister. Nothing, nothing. The answer, you know what it was, the answer of being calm and quiet, not seeing anybody in my house for two weeks without meeting, calling, nothing. The answer was they did a video, defamatory video about me, and they put it to all professors in the art school, uh, Lisa. Mm-hmm explaining who I am and my counter-revolutionary means to take over the government. This is why I'm here long time.
0: The day after my arrival in Cuba for the opening of the 12th Havana Biennial, I learned that the artist was staging a four-day performance in her home on Tejadillo Street in Old Havana, despite her treatment by authorities. Her neighborhood is a few blocks from the National Museum of Fine Arts. As I was walking there, I heard through an open door the voice of Cuban curator Gerardo Mosquera reading from the political theorist Hannah Arendt's book, Totalitarianism. (inaudible) Bruguera says the performance is the beginning of her new art activism project, or artivism as it's otherwise known. I'm doing an opening
4: session, let's say, for a new project I'm going to start, which is the Institute for Artivism, Hannah Arendt, in Cuba. So hopefully the police come and learn what activism is.
0: The artist launched her 100-hour ode to Hannah Arendt two days before the opening of the 2015 biennial, inviting volunteers to read from the book, She timed the performance to coincide with the 113th anniversary of Cuban Independence Day, May 20th. (inaudible) Authorities responded furtively to the opening of the institute. Less than 48 hours after I first passed by the in-home performance sessions, I returned to find a devastated streetscape a trench had been dug down the center of the block. Rubble and construction materials made it difficult to reach the doorway. It seems that public works employees had been instructed to make noise, to redig sections of the street on which electrical wiring repairs had already been completed. Still, Bruguera thought she was free to move about the city. On the day we recorded this conversation, she considered attending an exhibition opening at the National Museum.
4: Maybe I should go to I didn't know today. be
0: Unfortunately, security guards stopped Bruguera from entering the museum, and since then, authorities have arrested and detained her twice. Turns out that the video denouncing Bruguera was widely distributed. Her case has made the local news. Though she had invited her network to participate via email and Facebook, the Cuban cultural community was largely absent. Partly, I imagined, due to limited cell phone service and rare access to the internet on the island. Most who ventured to the space were members of the global art community in town for the biennial opening. We'd heard about the project by word of mouth. So the performance started yesterday. It started yesterday at 10, and we have been
4: uh, on, ongoing, uninterrupted, reading uh, the origins of totalitarism. And I think something that I really like is the fact that it is on the street. It is for the street. It's not in. It's indoor, but the projection it's is in on the, the street. Yes. And uh, it's you know just it's nice to have this kind of. Uh,
0: quote-unquote music with this background, you know? I agree. And people listening a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And so where will you position yourself with this new institute? For me, this is my answer to everything that happens. And I think an Ananda, uh,
4: it should be something people should read in Cuba at The moment uh, We can learn a lot. It's very interesting how she understood that totalitarianism is not about left or right. It's about the desire to be in power and to not let it go. So I think is uh, no, it's a wonder. It's a beautiful book. Huh? I don't know what
0: you hope to achieve with this project. Well, the idea is to
4: first of all, I have understood that uh, uh, RTV is something that has a lot of uh, need. The context has a lot of need for in Cuba, and uh, it would be nice to have a place where people can exchange ideas about the projection for the future of Cuba, the projection for social change, uh, and to give art a role in that discussion. So we'll see. You said you you
0: can't leave Havana?
4: No, no, Havana, no.
0: No Havana, no Cuba. That's fine, I
4: mean, I don't care. At this point, I'm beyond so many things. And the only thing I trust now is my work. That's it.
0: I know this is a great piece. I know the idea of the Institute is good. And uh, I just That's need to nice.
4: believe
2: it. I think right now it's good to have art TV. in
4: Art in this moment is good
0: for Cuba. Art with a Sense of Place highlights the second issue of our Smart Guide to Contemporary Art, a series of downloadable PDFs that explore themes in this podcast. The voices we share in today's program reveal the broadening significance of space and place in contemporary art. Illustrating how context can generate content, these conversations animate the powerful creative dimensions of the world around us. Visit FreshArtInternational.com and click on the Smart Guide tab to download this issue and dive deeper into the subject of sight sensitivity. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, rate, and review Fresh Art International on Apple Podcasts. We invite you to make a one-time donation or become a supporting member with a monthly gift. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation will match every dollar we receive. Go to freshartinternational.com and click on the red support button to give what you can. Stay tuned for more contemporary art talk.